Washed Up Emo sponsors New Belgium Brewing are celebrating their 30th anniversary as a company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com. Do you ever wonder if your favorite band is emo? Tired of being in the same conversation with friends? Not knowing if you're listening to post-hardcore, screamo, emo revival, emo emo violence, even ska. We're We're here here to to help. help. The Emo Council is here staffed and ready for any question you may have. Hey, Emo Council, just wondering if Green Day was considered an emo band. Thanks. Green Day is not an emo band. Okay. From the creators of Washed Up Emo, isthisbandemo.com offers the definitive answer to the only important question of your day. Hey, is this been emo? Forgive me for running off the find the one thing I have to do. Welcome to episode 49 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I'm Tom Allen from washedupemo.com. This episode is sponsored by Epitaph Records and the release Harmlessness by The World is a Beautiful Place and I Am No Longer Afraid to Die. This episode 49, we welcome Josh Fieldler from The Juliana Theory. We pretty much talk about everything. So if you have any more questions after this, I'll be very surprised. But we talk about everything. It's a must-listen for a fan of the band of the era. Josh was so gracious to uh, take some time to talk about everything. Uh, so I hope you enjoy. If you have suggestions or bands or things that you want to hear or know, at Washed Up Emo on Twitter, and I will respond. Enjoy. Josh, welcome to the Washed Up Emo podcast. Thank you. Glad <laughs> to be here. <laughs> so... Uh, I'm going to ask because it's timely. Um, there was a infomercial that someone made, um, this, uh, couple and, um, I found out about it. They sent it to me. I said, I have to play this. I have to, I have to, uh, tell people about this and, and, and promote it. Um, what did you think when you saw it? This was an infomercial related to emotion is dead as if it, you guys were coming out in 1994 and only had TV advertising. <laughs> right. It was awesome. Um, I know I, Somebody posted on Twitter. I think it might have been you. And I, 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 I thought it was like something somebody did like a few years ago or something. It was, but after you know, I watched it and it was hilarious. Um, and then it was funny. Uh, later that day, um, our old manager had posted on Facebook, and my wife saw it, and she like she couldn't believe it. She thought it was like the most funny thing. She, um, you know, texting everybody had you know everybody had to watch it and stuff. It was. But it was really funny. They did a, they did a really good Brett, uh, Brett impression. <laughs> <laughs> I loved. I think I probably my favorite part was the air horn. I, I gave a lot of respect to whoever. I think it was Danny out of the Eli and Danny crew that came up with the air horn part. Um, and then also the um, tooth and nail not giving you guys caviar in the VFW hall. <laughs> that was good. I like the uh, you always say good night part in the uh, in the bed. Oh yeah, that was funny. Though, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, I'm glad you liked it. You, uh, yeah, they you... did an awesome job. Cool. Um, and so I'd love to kind of start early with you guys for you specifically, and then, you know, the band and kind of go through everything. Um, you know, what, 
what personally got you into music? Was it an older brother? Was there something that you know clicked with you with a band? Was it a record that someone gave you? What was that? What was that first thing that I was? Think like? It was like uh, it was a bunch of things. I think uh, my dad, you know, he played guitar, um, and he was you know always listening to music. Um, so I think I was probably right around I was um, maybe around six or so, six or seven. I got my first like Walkman cassette Walkman, and he used to make me tapes. Uh, so my first tape, I had two. He gave me the Beatles, uh, 1962 to 66 hit, the Red album. And then um, the other one was uh, ZZ Top, Afterburner on one side, and Bon Jovi, Slippery One Wet on the other. It was like right when Slippery One Wet came out, and I was obsessed with like, you got love, or you gave love a bad name. Um, so that, would, that was kind of like the start. Uh, he had this, like old acoustic guitar that he had from when he was little and um you know i would just mess around with it uh, i couldn't play anything i wanted to but i don't know why nobody got me lessons or anything <laughs> um then i you know kind of skipping ahead a little bit um you know i lots of years of uh hair bands molly crew van halen i was obsessed with all of them and then um right around i think i was in seventh grade you know, Nirvana came out, and that kind of obviously changed things basically for everybody. Um, and I had an older cousin that was really into metal at the time, um, and he played guitar. Uh, so we would, you know, I would see him usually twice a year on vacations and whatnot. And, um, you know, I kind of was uh, rekindling the wanting to play guitar. And I think ninth grade, I finally got a guitar of my own. Um you know, so it was kind of Nirvana, never mind. That kind of, I think, you know, pushed me to, like, really want to play. And, you know, my first songs were, you know, Nirvana sounding. <laughs> well, probably mixed between Nirvana and ACDC, if that makes any sense. But probably because the ACDC was pretty simple to, you know, simple to play. Yeah. And then, um, so I would was... say, you know, after... Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I mean, it's really interesting. A lot of the people, and I believe you're probably similar in my age, like late 30s. Um, yeah. And so I'm around the same age, and I think Nirvana was the same thing. Never mind. The bands a little bit before us, uh, it was like Fugazi. And it's interesting that so many bands of our age mention Nirvana, um, and then earlier ones kind of mentioned Fugazi. There's these, these, these tentpole records or these bands that change things. Um, right. and, uh, it's pretty kind of, um, um, as I've been doing these and, and, you know, it's just really interesting. I almost could like call it as soon as you said it, I was like, he's going to say, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> and and not, I think it's but not, age, not, you know? not like, in a bad you're way. You're in your mid to late thirties. It has to be Nirvana, you know, yeah. and probably a little before there, it was probably, you know, either Pixies or Fugazi or some kind of Iron Maiden record or something like that. And, when did you get into like the independent scene when did you sort of dive into the you know if it was punk or hardcore what, so what were ones that it actually uh was a little while longer actually because around the time you know i would say you know i started listening to nirvana and then with smashing pumpkins um and then i started diving a little back further like sonic youth became one of my favorite bands and the cure my bloody valentine um you know that was all those noise bands like you know in the uh late 80s early 90s i started getting really into the pixies um 
And then my, I always uh, kind of liked uh, pop punk a little bit too, where I started listening to the Ramones and the Sex Pistols, and that kind of took me into the indie pop punk world where I was obsessed with, you know, all Lookout Records punk rock like Screeching Weasel, and the Queers, and uh, Mr. T Experience. Um, Hell yeah! So that's kind of where my first band started uh, with Josh Koster and the Julian Theory's original drummer, Neil Hebrank, we started a band. Uh, we would kind of, we were kind of mixed between grunge and pop punk at first, and then we kind of started going towards that Lookout Records type sound um, that we were just obsessed with at the time in high school. Um, what kind of stuff were you and, listening to in high school? Other, I mean, were there labels that you were... Um, or was it a lot of the pop punk lookout? It was a lot of the pop punk, yeah. Fat records, lookout records. Um, mostly, <laughs> mostly those two, really. Um, but it was funny, actually. Like the uh, our scene in Greensburg, Latrobe, Pennsylvania, uh, which is where we're from. It's about uh, forty-five minutes to an hour east of Pittsburgh. We actually have a real, like, legit scene. Um, that we had all different bands of all different genres all playing together. We had three venues that, um, you know, every weekend there'd be three or four bands, sometimes more playing. And, you know, that's where we all kind of met and hung out, talked about music. Uh, Brett and Chad uh, from the Juliana Theater were in this band called Red Number no. 9, which eventually became Pensive. Um, so they were, uh, I guess, a resident like a Discord scene kids. So they, you know, they loved Fugazi, Jawbox, um, and some of like uh, hardcore stuff too. And then uh, we had, you know, metal kids and just every genre of music. And we all hung out together. And um, Brett actually went to school, uh, same high school as Neil. Josh and myself, uh, so we all you know knew each other from high school. Um, and Chad uh, went to high school with Jeremiah, the original uh, Julian Theory guitarist. Um, and it was funny like they, we just all kind of came together. So we had like a pop punk kid, you know. A, yeah, you can see it coming uh, a together. Kid, a Discord kid, you know. It's all basically all kind of came together. And um, right after. Neil and Josh and I's pop punk band broke up. Uh, Pensive was kind of ending as well because Brett had joined Zayo, which is, you know, everybody probably knows is, you know, the big hardcore metal band, the Tooth and Nail days. Um, so he had joined Zayo, and we had always talked about doing some kind of band that was not in the vein of our previous bands. And I think some long, sometime along the way there in like 1996 or 97, I can't remember exactly when, but, um, you know, Chad and Brett had introduced me to, uh, like Jimmy World, Static Prevails, and Texas is the Reason, and the Get Up Kids, um, and Mineral, all those, all those, you know, flagship emo bands that you say now. But, <laughs> and, um, you know, we decided that, we should try something like, you know, try something like that. Um, we all really loved 
um, that prevails Jimmy World. I think that was probably everybody's favorite out of the group there. Because um, we always leaned more towards the a little bit of a harder edge than the like the mineral type um, bands, although we liked mineral too. But um, that's kind of where it started. Uh, originally there. I you know. love, and, I, and I'm sure everybody was sort of piecing it together just as I did. You just see all these pieces starting to form the Juliana theory because every band you mentioned, every sort of connection, you could hear it inside these songs that you guys have done over a number of years. Um, right. You can hear the breakdowns. You can hear the cute parts. You can hear the mineral parts. You can hear, um, now that I'm thinking about Static Prevails, which I didn't know, you can totally hear that. Um what was what was some of those you know first uh, first feelings as you guys were you know songwriting you know wh- what was the process then I mean you guys were all in bands before but now you're kind of coming together to try something new right there ninety six ninety seven what was some of the I guess what was the process for you so basically like we just kind of got together um, the first time it was actually um, me Chad uh, Jeremiah and Neil got together in Neil's parents' garage. It was a like detached from the house in Lake Trobe. Uh, we got together and played. Uh, we wrote three songs that day. Um, it was actually funny because Chad had never played bass guitar before. <laughs> so right before our first practice, he got this piece of crap $15 Samic bass. It looked like real metal. Um, and it was... Uh, one of the tuning pegs was held on by like a nail that somebody just hammered into the neck of the guitar. And, um, we got together, Brett was on tour, I think. And we wrote three songs. Two of them were on our original, um, split EP, uh, with Dawson high. It was a week long embrace. And, uh, I think picture stars and dreams. And then we had another song that never heard the light of day. And then, um, so we would start practicing a little bit. Then Brett eventually came home, I think like a month later and it was starting to get cool outside. So we actually moved from Neil's uh, garage to Brett's parents' house. And that's when we would start writing together. So basically like what would happen is usually in those early days, um, Jeremiah or myself would come to practice with a guitar part or two. And then we would basically all, you know, write the song you know, right there. And then Brett would take it and write his lyrics and melodies, whatnot. After that, um, you know, while you're either at practice or when we go away, you know, we'd tape everything like a little tape recorder and he'd sing over them. Um, so it was kind of the early days. It was, uh, pretty simple. I think probably the same for most young bands. You know, we would just, just get together and have fun. Where did you, did you consider yourself an, emo band at the time? Uh, we did, actually. Um, we, you know, I think at that time it was cool and new. Uh, you know, in those, you know, the late 90s, it was, those were the cool bands, the emo bands, and it was uh, very, like, I, would, I would, don't want to say unknown, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't mainstream yet, obviously. Yeah, I, I feel that, too. I mean, that was, it was still very fresh. It was still... Uh, people were still kind of figuring it out, and there there wasn't a you know stigma to it. Um, well, there was for some bands that were maybe around a little bit longer, um, but I think some of the newer ones that were being inspired by, if it was the Get Up Kids or Mineral, um, you know, they were kind of there. Um, right. 
Did you? I think it just come out like you know that you just heard about uh, the Get Up Kids and Jimmy World and Mineral like the year before that, like '96, I think their records came out or early '97. Um, you know, Sunny Day was around, and in '95, I think Diary came out or '94, something like that. Um, you know, and I, another, I think, one big album that came out right around when we started playing was Radiohead's OK Computer, too. So that kind of, um, even though it wasn't an emo band, I think everybody in that scene probably related to that record as well mm-hmm. as being, you know, different kind of like a milestone record. And now when you guys released, I mean, we can fast forward a little bit, just when you guys got signed by Tooth and Nail and understanding this is a dream came out. And I think, you know, for a lot of people, me included, it was felt like it was shot out of a cannon. I mean, you guys were in that, in that time frame, and obviously um, it's different levels now. And I wonder what, you know, your Facebook page would have been back then. Um, I'm glad there wasn't one. Um, what was, uh, what were some of your thoughts? Because it was an interesting time because it was really hand to hand. It wasn't, uh, you know, you really had to go out there and, 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 and tour and introduce yourself to people. Um, what were your feelings as you guys kind of went out there and, and felt this response? Because that record had a great first response. It did. It was, it's crazy, too, because, you, know, um, you know, we didn't even really tour a whole lot. We, you know, we would just play shows. Um, you know, we would drive to New Jersey or drive to Cleveland, um, drive to Philadelphia or, you know, outskirts of Philly or New Jersey, uh, just those kind of places. And then, um, you know, when we signed a tooth and nail, we'd actually driven out to the big um, Christian festival, Cornerstone in Indiana. Um, and uh, we played and uh, Brett, you know, obviously knew some people from tooth and nail and got them to come along and there was interest there. Um, for a while, you know, we weren't really sure either because it was kind of strange for us uh, not being a Christian band um, to sign a tooth and nail. And, you know, it was really hesitant, but, you know, they liked the band. They liked the music we were playing. And so we, you know, obviously there wasn't labels coming and pounding down our door because, you know, I think at that point probably nobody had heard us. We only had that one little split EP um, on a Rise Records or whatever. And, um, so yeah, we went and record Understand This Is Dream in 11 Days in Little Rock, Arkansas. <laughs> um, and then started touring shortly thereafter. And that was, we booked our, you know, own tour. We headlined it and basically went around the country playing fire halls and dive clubs and people's houses. Um, and it was cool because you could just tell, like, there were people really paying attention. Um and it was a really good feeling because, you know, we would just, we start playing all these shows and kids would come out and know the songs. And that would, that had been a new experience for all of us outside of Brett who had toured with Zayo before. Um, yeah, it was really cool. Uh, different, obviously different in those days too. It's, everything was word of mouth. Um, you know, Tooth and Nail put the record out in the stores and, you know, they didn't have that big media push that, you know, they did, you know, a few years later, like when Anne Berlin came around or further scenes forever. And it was, uh, yeah, it was all grassroots from the very start with us. Do you feel that if you were maybe a few years later, 
it, you would have been on a different track. Um, I, I always, I always, yeah. I always think about that shit. <laughs> I do too, actually. Yeah, it, it, I had caught it. You know, gets brought up in my mind from time to time where it, it does seem like if we were just like a few years later, things probably would have been a little different. <laughs> we probably made it would have caught that wave of all the MySpace and everything, <laughs> but. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, yeah, it just seems like such a, uh, I for some reason, and I think you you know this feeling, and I've talked to actually someone last night about it. Uh, there's a picture, and it's actually really funny. It's the Juliana Theory show that my band had opened up for you guys in, in North Carolina. I'm not going to mention the name of the band. No one will hear it, listeners. No one will ever hear this band. Um, <laughs> just letting them out there know that. Um, the, there's a picture that a friend took, and Brett has, and I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you. Brett has his hands in the air, and it's this you know, hole-in-the-wall venue, and I just love it. Because I send it to people when I want to tell them about the, that time period. Everyone had their eyes on Brett. No one had their phone in their hand. No one was, you know, futzing around. Yes, people were outside smoking. Yes, maybe someone wasn't paying attention or just staring. But at that one moment, everyone was looking. And I just kind of miss that. <laughs> oh, I, I know. I did too. Those days were so much... They were they were just better all around. <laughs> For back music, in, it just... Back in my day. was better. It was. <laughs> I feel like a jaded old man. Like when I talk about that now, it's just like it's just it is really it's just so different now. It like I couldn't even imagine being in a touring band nowadays. In some ways, it's awesome. You have all this technology to get your name out there, and I mean, God, we didn't even have cell phones when we toured. We'd have to find pay phones and dark alleys to call home. You know. <laughs> Or like phone the uh, phone the club like uh, from a payphone and a calling card like an hour before we'd get to the show to get directions and now you have GPSs and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah, there was just this <laughs> level of. I mean, I always joke. Uh, you know, you grow up and 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 you say, "I'll see you at the mall at two. and you showed up to the mall at two, and if right. you weren't there, you you didn't uh, go see the movie. But now it's right. like 17 text messages. I mean, how many emails did we have before we did this? Um, you know, just this, all these back and forths and uh, that one photo just kind of, uh, especially for you guys touring at that time, I think you put the work in. You put in the, um, the time. And I think it's almost as if now everyone says, you know, you got to have more content out there. Every brand, every band has to constantly do stuff. You guys were doing that every day just organically and making five friends and the next time you came out they asked five friends to come out and there's 10 and you know you're, you're kind of snowballing from there right it, that's very true you also sent me that picture too and i'm kind of curious to see which one you're talking about but, yeah, um, a friend had randomly took it she brought her camera that was the other thing too it's i mean yes there were people with cameras but it's not like you had the instant reaction to post it you got it right. developed. You you know you only had ten shots, maybe. <laughs> right, and then you know for the band too, we would never see any of those pictures unless somebody had you know a like an Angel Fire website or something. They would <laughs> or GeoCities that they'd put it up on and you know email us. But uh, and then yep. I, I I think from you know from that record, you guys had a great jumping off period. Um, and I think especially if, uh, you did not have a sophomore slump. Um, I think emotion is dead. 
um, definitely made an impact. I mean, I, I, I think I had posted, I don't know if it was a year ago or something, I posted a song from there and just the reaction of people to it. And for some reason, and maybe you have thoughts on it, is that you guys aren't mentioned in that sort of list of 10 bands from that time period. Um, and I don't know if it was tooth and nail. I don't know if it was uh, relationships or whatever it was, or, or if the press, I just think, you know, especially emotion is dead. It was, it's just right up there for me with all those other records at the time. Right. I think part of it is tooth and nail. Um, you know, we always try to make it a point, you know, we weren't, aren't a Christian band. Um, <laughs> you know, we just happen to be on tooth and nail, which is a Christian label. And, you know, obviously I'm Jewish. I, you know, I would always tell people that, you know, we're not happy Christian, new year. Jewish. People would come up to our, you know, shows. We'd always have those, um, you know, quote unquote Christian kids that would come up and try to spread the word of Jesus or, you know, ask Brett or Chad, you know, all kinds of crazy questions that we've gotten. But um, I think maybe that hurt a little bit. Uh, but then again, you know, Tooth and Nail did an awesome job getting the record in every store that, you know, it was easily accessible for people to find it. Um, but again, you know, we never had videos or anything. I, don't, I think some of the other bands maybe around that time, um, you know, maybe they got videos um, for people to see. Um, I don't know. You know, another thing is, too, we never actually toured with, um, until a little later, in those early days, we would always do tours ourselves. We would just headline our own shows um, and take, you know, take a band or two with us, and we'd always jump on local shows. Um, I, I don't know if that had anything to do with it. It's kind of strange. Like, yeah, because I always see those lists, and we're not on it, and it's just like, well, we were in that in that general uh era and we probably had the same kids coming to our shows that maybe Thursday or days of the day had, you know, but we don't get put in the same, um, same breath as those guys. Um, I think another thing too, maybe uh, we always wanted to, um, change up our sound every record. And maybe if we would have continued with the same kind of vibe that understand this is a dream had, maybe, Maybe some something else would have happened instead of Motion of the Dead, but I'm proud that we put out Motion of the Dead and you know with the change in direction that we did. I, I think the I think for people to think oh the, you know there's always that sophomore slump and I don't think that this this one did and I mean it's it's a it's a funny ass title too because it's very you know prophetic of what kind of happened. Um, right. You know it 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 did die. Um, you know it got. It got completely, you know, with all things, um, and everyone's probably rolling their eyes um, that listens. Um, it, it went through a phase. There were people that, you know, uh, used the name and, and were doing other things. Fantastic. Um, I think especially this time, you guys were doing a lot of different things, and I, I think people maybe weren't ready for it. Um, sort of like people weren't ready for The Shape of Punk to come. When Refuse right. put that out, no one give a shit. Um, and now, you know, they did a world tour based on it. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, you guys having electronic parts, intricate vocal harmonies, uh, you know, I mean, kind of a, not really a concept record, but you, it wasn't like you, you could just sit there and wait for the breakdown. Um, right. Uh, so, and we would get hammered for that stuff too, back in the day. I mean, we were, there were so many things like we'd get a bad rap for Brett or all of us wearing headset mics, which obviously never happened. 
Um, Brett, I think, was one of the first singers to wear in-ear monitors, and I think people misconstrued that as having a headset mic. But like, I don't know. People like look for this um, sometimes like we were almost like a boy band, <laughs> like playing rock music rather than an actual real rock band. I do remember one show that it was like, I think there was like 20 minutes of sound check and it was your headsets. And right. I think for the venue, I don't, I mean, I think one speaker worked, you know, in, in the monitor. Um, and I think, I mean, it was, I think there was that tendency that you guys were really serious. And I think at that time being serious and a professional wasn't looked at as fondly as someone that just runs up there and kind of does their own thing. You guys actually right. had a vision. You had a, um, not saying bands didn't, but I could just, you could tell you guys were going on to other things. This, this, this was serious. This wasn't just, I'm in a band and this is what I'm going to kind of do. It's like, no, I'm going to try and be the biggest band we can. Right. That's basically what we were doing. We, we wanted to be the biggest band. We wanted to sound the best that we possibly could, no matter what the venue, um, you know, play as best as we could. Uh, we were always very serious. Like from, I would say, you know, right around when we played this, uh, after our first couple shows, we we're like, you know, we could, this is something really good. We've got something good going on here. Let's just always give it our best, um, you know, kind of from day one. Do you feel, and this is, and you don't have to answer this. I just sometimes have, people have brought this up with me and I've, I've always thought about it. Do you think, I think certain people give off a demeanor. Uh, certain people, you know, I don't know if it's the resting bitch face that, you know, people joke about now. <laughs> um, do you think that some of the members or do you feel, you know, if it was Brett or you, do you feel like people sometimes had this just perception of how you guys were and then that sort of, sort of snowballed in if it was reviews or the way people acted? Because, every, I mean, I would deal with, I don't know, I would deal with you guys either at that show I played or Mac Rock or another festival or whatever it was. It wasn't like... I I don't know. I never really felt any any bad. Maybe I just wasn't in it. Maybe I was still just a dumb kid from a radio station. I think people were just kind of. Um, I know from just personal experience, like people sometimes were maybe put off um, by us or like even Brett in particular. Um, you know, we were like really quiet and shy. And I think sometimes that turned around that we were um, stuck up assholes, thought we were better than everybody else, even though that really wasn't the case at all. And I think maybe what we did on stage maybe kind of reinforced that into some people's brains, maybe just the way that we put ourselves out there. Um, and then when we got off stage, maybe we weren't as nice as we should have been, even though I don't think we were, we weren't ever, you know, not nice to anybody, but maybe we just, Maybe we were just too quiet or, you know, shy to, I don't know. I, I always wonder about that, too. It, it's, I think part of that, yeah, I think back around those days, definitely contributed um, to maybe some people bad-mouthing us here or there on the Internet or the message boards whatnot. right god buddy head didn't help um you know <laughs> well, buddy they head just, they just had it us. that's the thing they just had it out for these certain bands they um, really did it was so funny because we had never even met them or anything they just they absolutely did like destroy us all the time no matter <laughs> you know just... i mean full disclosure i do the same thing with like two or three bands so i guess i'm guilty too um <laughs> 
I, you know what the analogy I kind of see is that if there's uh, in, in sports, if there's a sports figure that doesn't talk to the press, like he doesn't want to, that person over the time will not get favorable press or maybe not in, get into the Hall of Fame of whatever that sport That's is. definitely it. Right. I just read an interview with Marshawn Lynch, like the Seattle Seahawks running back. It's, you know, like he is the one that, you know, wouldn't give any answers, get signed, and then he would say, you know, I'm just here so they don't find me or whatever. And off the field, he's apparently a really nice guy. He does all this charity work for kids. He takes care of, like, he, you know, made sure his whole family is basically taken care of financially. You know, all reports off the field, he's a great guy. He just won't do interviews. And that, you know, obviously puts him into a bad light with the media. Yeah, they're just going to – the second you mess up or do something dumb, they're all over you. And I think maybe that was the same sentiment. Um, right. Um, and I, I don't know. It's it's a weird thing. Just it goes back to my earlier question about what if. What if it was like two or three years later? Um, and I think you guys took a – I think you did have a have a swing when you, when you released Love. Now you're dealing with a major label. You're dealing with 500 people. Uh you know, people that probably have a thousand things on their plate. Uh, what were some of the uh, memories from that record, which, you know, to me was like a straight up, you know, rock, you know, if you're, if you're saying the, you know, the Bon Jovi era or those types of not you guys, but I'm saying like your, when your memories of that type of music, that was where I was kind of going from. It was more of a, uh, it moved away from layered harmony as a more rock centered record. Um, it did. I think a lot of, had a trip, like a lot of us, um, um, maybe rediscovering or, you know, some classic rock roots like the Beatles and Led Zeppelin, the Who, Pink Floyd, even though I, I'm not a big Pink Floyd fan, but some of the other guys are huge Pink Floyd fans. Um, and I, it was just another move to try to get away from that whole scene. For some reason, like I think at that time, we didn't really want to be associated I mean, not even when Emotion of the Dead came out, we didn't want to be just another emo band. We wanted to be like a real rock band, um, you know, like the Foo Fighters or Third Eye Blind, um, other bands in that genre that were, you know, the big at the time. We wanted to be um, not just an emo band. We wanted to be considered just a real rock band. Um, and Love, we record, you know, we signed a epic um which looking back on was another mistake that we probably did along the way um but i still love the record it you know it took a long time to make we um put everything we had into it um it took you know months to record i think the record overall is our darkest record um as far as maybe like a mood um you know it's heavier uh I, I don't know. It, it was another, just another thing with Epic. Like, you know, when we put out the record, it get, kept getting pushed back. Um, I think originally it was supposed to come out in 2002. Um, and I think it got pushed back maybe three, four times until it finally came out um, in, oh, around Valentine's Day in 2003. And I think at the time we kind of got lumped in um, – bad timing uh, you know epic had a good charlotte record they were putting out oh. a j-lo record an incubus record a pearl jam record and we kind of got uh the short end of the stick um the 
when it really came to light was when we were on tour with something corporate. Uh, we did a co-headlining tour with them, and we had our label mates Vendetta Red opening up for us. And at that time, we had that was our first tour that we toured with buses. Um, so Vendetta Red, uh, something corporate, and us, we all had a tour bus. Um, both each of us had one. And I think late one night, we were hanging out in the back of one of our buses, and we had um, MTV on, and a Vendetta Red video came on. <laughs> And uh, we're like, you guys got a video? And we're like, no. <laughs> Meanwhile, you know, they're spending all of, they spent all this money on the record and then just decided not to do a video for it. And I think that was the first time the light camera came on, like, you know, <laughs> we're getting really <laughs> fucked here. <laughs> like, because we were just busting our asses. I think we, at that, that year that that record came out, we toured almost the entire year. Um, outside of a few months here and there, and just um, it was again just all grassroots, like no help from Epic at all. You know, they um, barely pushed any songs to radio. Um, Did you ever go to the office? Did you ever have a meeting with anybody? Oh yeah, yeah, very many. <laughs> we had a lot. Uh, there was a one time we actually uh, after the record came out, it was just shortly after. Full disclosure, um, I work to... in that building, just so you know. Don't worry about it. Oh, do you? Yeah, okay. I, is I... Epic even still there? Yes, it is, unfortunately. No, I'm kidding. Oh, uh, no, that's it is... okay. I doubt anybody from I'm our sure day. I doubt. No, I love hearing these because I, I, can, almost, I can almost guess what's going to happen. So what happened when you went to the label? <laughs> so well, the label was always, you know, we actually, uh, I think all of our meetings with the label took place before our record came out. Um, you know, so it was always all fun. I think one time we went and we got tickets to go see the Black Crows in Oasis at Radio City Music Hall. It was awesome. You know, all fun and fun times, uh, free dinners and whatnot. Um, but shortly after the record came out, I think we were in Michigan and one of the Epic Record uh, reps came out and um, just so happened to sit with Brett at the bar and was like, Oh yeah, your your record's dead. You know, there's there's no heart in it. And uh obviously we were just fucking livid that this happened, you know. Like how dare somebody from our label come and just tell us that right after our record came out. It's like, you know, it was like a knife right to the back, you know, and twisting it while you're in there. Um I'm sorry, I'm laughing. No. <laughs> it's funny, you know. It's absolutely ridiculous it's the ridiculous. fact that somebody actually did that um, from our record label. Um, so after that, you know, we kind of basically knew that we won out as soon as possible. And uh, you guys did do that. So how many? How we many? Did. How many record deal did you sign initially? Was it like um, ten, ten record deal? You know, your next no, to kin. I think it was like. Uh, to be honest, I'm not exactly sure. I can't remember. I think it was probably like maybe three or five, something mm -hmm. like that. Um, I can't remember exactly what yeah. the number was. It, it was, was something around that it, vicinity. It was more than one. Yes, more than one, right. <laughs> but the fact that they didn't do anything for the record gave us an out clause, and um, you know, we got you know, a settlement, basically, to get off the label instead of them... Um, recording our next record. It was funny too, because they were like, well, well, we'll record your next record and put it out, but we're not going to, you know, probably not going to do anything with it. So if you want to get out of the deal, you can. Wow. So obviously we, you know, <laughs> 
first uh, first train ride out, we were on it. And then, I mean, so thinking about that, thinking about you know, emotion and dead being different than understanding this as a dream, love being different from emotion is dead, having the major label issue, maybe there's a stigma to that, maybe there wasn't something done, but you were still out there doing it. And then I think Deadbeat Sweetheart, which you guys did on your own um, in 2005, um, which actually has one of my favorite songs on it, uh, My Heart is a Soldier. Um, That's one of my favorite songs, too. Oh, yeah. It's it's always, when I play it at the DJ nights, always someone will come up and be like, what is this? And I was like, it's off the... Well, one of the last Juliana Theory records. I was like, oh my god, I had no idea. Like, I just think like, people you know, they just forget. Uh, yeah, that but, was that was funny too because that record just um, it you know we put it out. It was on um, you know we put it under our own label, uh, but it was backed by Century Media, which is a big metal label, you know. But they made like a side shoot or side uh, label for rock called Atticus. So we kind of did it in conjunction with them. Um, this took a while to like shop around to see, you know, who's going to give it the best shot. And, you know, we went with them because we were kind of going to be like the flagship rock band or whatever. And uh, once again, we kind of got, you know, bent over, uh, by a record label and that record, I think it is our best record, um, as like from start to finish, I think it's the best, that's the best sounding record. Um, I think it's the most energetic, uh, maybe since understand this is a dream. It had a lot of different elements that we were really proud of. Um, and it just, uh, you know, it, it, it did okay, but obviously nothing like emotion of that or love did. Um, you know, without any label support again, without being our, you know, four full length, it was just like, we were kind of getting, uh, run down a little bit, I would say. Yeah. Try to be the best I mean, the last song, the second to last song is called The Final Song. <laughs> yeah, and that's actually the last song we wrote as a band. We actually, <laughs> that was the last, we wrote it, I think, a couple days before we left to the studio. Um, that was actually the last song we wrote. Obviously not knowing that it was really going to be the final song, but it really was. Wow. And then, interesting to that time period, 2005, that is when things are starting to ramp up. MySpace. Uh, I mean, were you seeing these other bands sort of leapfrog, or other bands kind of drop out that you were friends with? It, it was an interest. It was definitely a transition at that time. It was. I think that was around the time we started seeing that all these bands that would open up for us were getting much, much bigger than we were, getting more label support than we were, um, you know, bigger shows, everything happening for them. They were getting on big tours and just nothing was happening for us. Like, um, you know, Anne Berlin, Bayside, um, Further Seems Forever. I could go probably on and on. Uh, like Hot Rod Circuit, just keep on going for all these bands that um, were obviously taking it like to a level that we had not gotten to that one we wanted desperately wanted to be at ourselves. And we just, uh, you know, we couldn't get on any tours. Um, uh, stuff and, you know, it kind of just died. Yeah. Right when there. did you, when did you know that, you know, 
when did you know that it was over? When did you guys, were, was it like in a van or was it like when you were done a final tour? What, I mean, we were actually, um, I'm such a downer, a, I know. Toured, yeah, we were, we were touring in the States and everything was really, it was pretty good. Um, you know, some shows weren't as big as maybe they had been on prior tours, like maybe in the middle of the States or something. Um, we always did well in all the big cities. Um, but, uh, you know, some of us, you know, maybe if we would play like Wisconsin or something, you know, if many, you know, not as many people would be there, but we actually, uh, you know, we toured in September, uh, we came home, took a small break. I got married, went on my honeymoon, came back, and then we went on tour again until mid-December, um, took a break during Christmas, and then we went over to Europe in January and February. And when we were in Europe, um, right about three quarters of the way through the tour, um, you know, we found out that, uh, you know, nothing was going to happen with the label. Um, there was reps again from that label in Europe with us that, uh, I wouldn't say like talking shit on us, but, you know, they basically were for a face, you know, this thing that nobody was doing anything, nobody cared about it. And at that point we were just like, we just had it. Um, it's really funny because, you know, most bands that break up, you know, get in huge fights, you know, lots of disagreements. We were never like that. We got along as best friends from the time we started until the time we ended. Uh, it was basically like an amicable, amicable split. We decided just we couldn't do it anymore. It was uh, it was just too much, you know, just to bust our asses for nothing, basically. Um, so we and came I home. No, I'm just saying for you guys to have so few member changes too, I always found fascinating. I mean, you, it was it was pretty much the same crew from Emotion is Dead onward. Almost, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, we had a uh, guitarist, original guitarist. Um, we changed after Understand This is a Dream, and then our original drummer we changed um, at Love. You know, when we put out Love, but. that's pretty small compared to some bands that you know it's like a rotating cast of characters. Um, right. So. And then for you guys, was it when you guys ended it, were you still keeping in touch? Were you thinking about what was next? What were some of the thoughts after that? Um, we we kind of ended. So we got home. Um, Brett had posted the uh, goodbye on our Facebook, um, you know, out of nowhere. You know, um, he just kind of put it up and saying we we're saying goodbye. And then... Um, <clears throat> We mean, kept in touch a little you mean bit MySpace. after that. Or, yeah, MySpace. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. It's, it's, it's been that long. You know, I know, right? I've forgotten about it now. It's like just <laughs> a memory. Um, so we did keep in touch for a little bit, and then I think for a little while, um, Brett had moved out to Los Angeles, and we kind of lost touch with Brett. Um, and then uh, our drummer. He was still lived around, but he kind of distanced, distanced himself from us as well. But uh, we stayed in touch for the most part um, outside of Brett. Brett kind of, uh, I don't know, <laughs> maybe Brett can talk about that, but he kind of went into hiding for a little bit. Yeah. And then um, we kind of all met up at, uh, we had a uh, friend's um, father had passed away and we had all met up at uh, the funeral and, you know, Brett kind of, uh, we started talking again and, um, you know, friends as always, basically. And during that time too, 
uh, Josh, Coster, and Chad, and myself were in a band called Vesta. We didn't do much. We just played around Pittsburgh and stuff. Um, I think if we had wanted to possibly branch out a little bit, not go on tour or anything, because um, I had uh, my first child, so I didn't want to be on tour with a kid and never be home. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's when we kind of started the thoughts on doing the 10-year Emotion of Dead reunion that we did about five years ago, which is crazy. But <clears throat> So what was the reunion like for you guys? You did 10 it shows, It was amazing. Right? We did um, three on the West Coast and four on the East Coast. Um, so seven shows in total. It was uh, it was awesome. We um, we basically Brett would um, fly or drive home from Los Angeles to Pittsburgh. He'd stay for a week. We'd practice. Um, Brett would go back, and then uh, we'd get together without Brett and kind of jam um, in I think probably like May, June, July, and then we had the shows in August, and it was just a blast. It was so much fun. Like all the old memories, you know, all the old feelings. It was just fantastic. It was such a fun time. All the shows were, you know, sold out, you know, pre-sales and everything. It was just, it was just awesome. Looking back, I really wish we would have done more shows because I don't think that we'll have any other reunions anytime. Um, I know I've tried, which is funny. They always, they, uh, the other guys get annoyed with me, I think, but I'm always pushing, like, come on, let's do a, let's do a love reunion. Let's do a deadbeat sweet heartbeat reunion. It's, like, been 10 years for that. I'm like, come on, we can do it, you know, but <laughs> I think uh, I think that ship has sailed. But, yeah, looking back, I wish we would have done a lot more shows. Um, at the time, you know, most of us had full-time jobs, so, you know, getting off of, you know, a bunch of days would have been tough. And, um, yeah, but it was it was awesome. And then what, what's kind of, uh, what's been happening since then for you? Uh, are there other music stuff that you've been working on? You're still doing stuff, right? Uh, yeah, I'm still doing stuff. Um, outside of like, well, we did the Vesta. We had two records that we released with Vesta. Um, <clears throat> after that, Chad, uh, the bass player, had joined a band called One Two Three. Uh, they put out a couple records. Um, and then during that time, I was in another band with a uh, friend from uh, town. He was in Vesta. We had a band called Light Waves for a little bit. Um, we put one song out, and then our singer kind of flaked out on us. And then um, currently, uh, Chad and I are working with uh, our friend Justin, who played drums for me. Uh, we're working on a new thing. But it's, uh, you know, starting the beginning stages right now, trying to find our sound and whatnot. It's going to be a trio, which I've never never done before nice yeah so good things to come from that and then uh on the juliana theory front we're actually putting uh deadbeat sweet heartbeat out on vinyl um i don't think it's going to come out until like maybe sometime early next year uh but that's in the works uh we kind of decided after we were doing the um or right around the time when we were doing our union shows to put out understand this is a dream and our ep music from another room we decided to put those out on vinyl um, during those shows. And we were, you know, trying to get all of the records out on vinyl because for some reason um, we only put Emotion is Dead out on vinyl. Um, I'm not really sure why because all of us really were into vinyl back then and wanted to do seven inches and nothing ever came of it for some reason. But um, another label put out Love uh, on vinyl, which we didn't really have anything to do with. Um, 
but it's still cool to have. I at least have some copies. And we're going to do Dead Suit, Dead Sweet Beat Heart, or Dead Beat Sweet Heartbeat on like a real limited run of like two or three hundred, something like that. But yeah. That's rad. And so, uh, anything, do you have all your records back or are they still all, they're still with Tooth and Nail or an Epic and. Yeah, I think they all are still with the original labels. Um, I don't know if we'll, I don't know how long <laughs> get hung on to, but forever, um, forever. Yeah, pretty much <laughs> for Epic for sure. That's <laughs> probably always going to be there. Uh, what are your thoughts on the, you know, the nostalgia and emo revival that is kind of happening or is it, is it funny to kind of notice that or is it one of those things that you're just like, well, it's just going to happen and people always are nostalgia or nostalgia. Yeah. You know what? I just, uh, you know, Brett and I had a conversation like a while, little while back and he was like, do you know, there's all these new emo bands out and they're calling themselves emo. I'm like, what? You know, and I started, uh, you know, just reading a couple things, and it did seem like there's, you know, kids coming out and they're playing their jangly guitars and <laughs> whiny vocals. And I, uh, I haven't heard any ones that I like so far, but I'm, you know, obviously always have an open ear for new music. But maybe you can offer me some suggestions. But I did this for Chris Caraba. Um, he didn't. He, I mean, he's sort of new, like kind of like you and Brett did. And so I gave him a bunch of records, and his mind was blown. Um, he had no idea that these, you know, these younger kids were, uh, hearing, you know, playing this music, but what was really interesting is I've talked to a lot of them. They're so knowledgeable. Like they almost know more than me about, well, maybe they do more about that time period. And it's just, all you gotta do is do Google and search and start reading. Yes, you weren't in it. Yes, you weren't a part of it. Or maybe they didn't understand maybe that photo that we were talking about earlier. But they know all the bands, the connections, and it's crazy. Like, we didn't have that. We didn't. We didn't. I know. (laughs) It's funny, because, you know, back in our day, that was probably, like, all the Discord, Jogathi stuff and everything. We'd find out about that just from word of mouth. And we didn't have the Internet back then. So now it's it's cool now that, that everything exists out there and, this whole other world. Yeah, and then they're they're able to cull from it. They're not just culling from what was you know mass marketed or pushed out uh, in the mid mid two thousands. They kind of they kind of jumped it and went back, which I love. Right, right. Um, so very, it's a it, it's an interesting interesting time for sure. Um, is there anything else you wanted to mention about uh, Juliana Theory that meant, that I didn't bring up or things that you were um, you know always wanting fans to know? Or thank, I don't think so. Or say thank you, because I know that a lot of them are going to be, uh, you know, I don't think there, I mean, there hasn't been a word from, especially you guys since 2010, and, you know, to kind of hear these things, I think is, for me, it was really, really enjoyable to hear. Well, thank you, I appreciate it. Yeah, and we always had the best fans. Our fans were super loyal, and never had any really bad experiences with anybody. You know, we just, all this people's floors we slept on, and just everybody was always so nice to us. Um, that was probably something we never got to really say, you know, on public, but, you know, it wasn't, you know, podcasts didn't exist back then, but, you know, it was just so much fun back in those days. Just, uh, I don't have any, um, I never have any bad thoughts about those days. It was just always so much fun. And, uh, you know, I'll uh, look back on with my grandkids someday, you know, hopefully and talk about stories of the old emo days. As they're like, what? 
exactly. Uh, very, I'll be one of those old people like, you kids and your awful music these days. <laughs> you want Are you saying that's emo? You're out of your mind. <laughs> right. You never listened to Jimmy World. There you go. Nice. Oh, cool. Well, uh, really enjoyed this chat, John. I'm so happy that you did this. And um, I just, you know, getting to see you guys so much um, back then. And I don't know, I felt like I saw you guys every three months almost when I was in school in North Carolina. And just uh, how you guys, uh, you, 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 you gave it your all. I just, I never, I never felt that there was like this time where you guys were not giving it your all. And I think, you know, sometimes bands forget that. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was super and that's, rad. We always, we kind of made a pact with ourselves to always do that, you know, no matter what, if there was two people to show or, you know, a thousand or whatever, we always kind of promised to always give it all, not half-ass it on stage. You know, we always tried name for that. That was probably one of our main things that we always stayed true to is, uh, you know, no matter what, just pushing through it, even if the show was awful, just really try to have a good time. And so, I, yeah, I'm glad to hear you say that because it makes me feel good that, you know, at least some somebody was out there. Watch your mouth, hold your tongue, boy, because you're running out of breath, running out of time before every careless word that you utter. When is you out of the uses? Now you're drowning in your own saliva. Try to speak yourself to the top of your empty world. Keep on talking, just keep on rapping. You got your mouth full. Oh, thank you, Josh, from the Gene Theory. Very, very, very happy that you were on. Hope you guys learned something. This episode was sponsored by Epitaph Records and uh, the release from The World is a Beautiful Place and I'm No Longer Afraid to Die. Harmlessness on Epitaph Records, epitaph.com. Go listen to it. I promise. Uh, you should also listen to Foxing. Uh, that's another band you should listen to. A lot of other stuff. So keep your ears open. Listen to the old. Listen to the new. And I'll see you next time here on the Washed Up Evil Podcast. Hello, Washed Up Emo fans. Thank you for listening to this podcast over the last nine plus years. Or if it's your first time, welcome. It has flown by, and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening. And for this current episode you're about to hear, I do have a favor of you. I have some books out right now called Anthology of Emo, and Volume 2 was released last fall. I really think you'll dig it if you haven't heard of them. It features guests from the podcast, including Jim Atkins from Jimmy World, Chris Conley from Saves the Day, Travis Shettle from Piebald, and John Bunch from Sensefield. I've also reprinted volume one so you can order both check out the diy publishing at anthologyofemo.com